Michael Kist. Are you caught me not listening again? Benjamin Solak. You never listen! It's the Kist and Solak Show. Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 158, brought to you by the fine folk at SB Nation, Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at MichaelKistNFL. That's K-I-S-T. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Nine Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, happy Friday. How you doing, brother? Everything is delicious, Michael. Thank you for asking. Realizing slowly and painfully that like eagles might lose to the redskins you've been working through the film you're not feeling so great i mean like not not feeling so i mean like i i'm mostly like at this stage of the week i'm like continuing to look at lines and set bets and stuff and like the eagles open to six point favorites they're not four and a half four in some places totals going down i mean nobody thinks the eagles offense is going to be able to score consistent points against the redskins and like why would you the eagles scored three points in the first half against the giants Mm. and then had you know, try to get some heroicism, some, some, you know, <laughs> come from behind Rudy play yeah. uh, to beat the Giants. But anyway, no, it's just, Redskins are 3-10, and 10, but they're they're not playing awful football. They really aren't. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And we're going to get into that because this is the first part of our normal two-part preview series. We'll be previewing the Eagles and Washington going into their Sunday showdown before we get into that. And that's going to be the Washington offense against the Eagles defense. But again, before we get into that in the injury report, there is some new around the NFL about an available player because the New York Giants have cut ties with their cornerback Jackrabbit Janoris Jenkins after he made some problematic uh, comments on Twitter or comment on Twitter that I personally detest and I think would go into the decision making of any team trying to pick him up at least you know especially with the Eagles Jeffrey Lurie all that stuff but either way this is a really good corner and Ben we can kind of like break down the pros and cons of this, but I I want your initial reaction on what you thought when you saw that Jenkins was released and what that could mean for other teams. Right. Well, I think, yeah, you're at a stage where you're the New York Giants, you're not competing. And like, you know, it's not to say like, all right, somebody did something bad. Well, are we competing or not? But it is to say the fact that you're looking towards next year and you're not looking towards this year in terms of, of your team building paradigm right now. And so when a player like Jenkins gets on Twitter engages with fans very negatively, uses language he shouldn't use. And then subsequently, when you bring him into the building and you tell him, hey, apologize, you can't do this. Do you understand why you can't do this? He's like, yeah, sure, whatever. And then he gets in front of his locker in your building and is clearly uh, in no ways apologetic, like authentically, or understands, you know, as he said, like, he doesn't think it was like, he clearly doesn't understand why people are upset about what he said. You very easily could have retained Jenkins, taken steps from a PR perspective and just from a, a, a human perspective to help him understand why you can't be going around calling people what he called people on Twitter. Mm. And then also rehabilitating his image you know, within the locker room and within the media. You could have done that, I think, to an acceptable degree. You know what I mean? Like, I think that like when people say things they don't and they don't understand the impact of that in a space like Twitter where everybody can see it and access it and they don't know how it's going to you know, kind of ripple effect throughout the interwebs, they should have the opportunity to rehabilitate from that and then learn. But there's no reason to invest in Jenkins like that mm. for the Giants right now. Don't view him as part of their long-term plans. They've drafted four corners in the last year. It hasn't played that well for them. Big contract money sort of a situation. They're going to cut him. And 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 there's a chance that this is like a message thing. You know what I mean? Like, 
Oh, yeah. You know, we're, we're looking to build a culture here, which, like, cool, but also everybody thinks you're going to fire your head coach. Yeah. So culture building is tricky when you're going to kind of fire the head of the culture. <laughs> um, so either way, I mean, I think I know I think you and I are on the same page in terms of Jenkins is probably going to get signed somewhere by yeah. a team who who thinks that they, they could use another veteran corner who still has good reps, good quality film in in their rotation. And he's going to be playing in the playoffs somewhere for somebody. And Adam Kaplan, this is this is from him. He says Janoris Jenkins is eligible to be claimed off waivers on Monday. Team claiming him would be responsible for the remainder of his $10.15 million base salary. And just a side note, I do believe that's around in the neighborhood of $2.5 million is what's left right. on that. He has one year left on his contract because he signed through 2020. In 2020, he is due $10.15 million, uh in base. So it's the same thing, essentially, as he made last year with a $1 million roster bonus due third day of free agency. This guy's going to get picked up and cut is, is my idea. Because, he, number one, he's on the wrong side of 30. A problem in the locker room for the Giants as well. I think Jack Raggett's played pretty doggone good this season. Number one, I'll say he's played better than any Eagles quarterback right. that the Eagles have on their roster. The guy has four picks. The Eagles quarterback group combined has four interceptions. So when you look at that and you also look at the fact that, yeah, sure, Jenkins got whooped. I mean, he got shown all 50 states by Mike Evans back in week three. Since then, he hasn't been the problem in what's been a bad pass defense. There's been a lot of other problems. He hasn't been one of them. He's been the only one making plays. And like we talk about all the time when we talk about the debate between Rasul Douglas and Jalen Mills, I don't care if you give up yards. I don't care if you get beat every now and then. Give me turnovers. And that's something that Jack Rabbit has consistently done. So is he better than the Eagles corners right now? Yes. Do I want him? No. Maybe in the offseason? No. Still no. Right. Yeah, I don't. Like, I'll, uh, again, like, I don't think mm, it's tricky. Like, I think Janoris Jenkins steps in and it immediately becomes your best man cover corner in Philadelphia. Yep. Do I think that Janoris Jenkins alone is the difference between the Eagles winning a playoff game and losing a playoff game? Probably not. Like, I think they have, they have more issues than just, like, a, a quality corner would solve that they probably have to address. That being said, like, a quality corner would really help. And I'm sure Jim Schwartz is saying that. And I'm sure there's there's people in the Eagles front office and, and the coaching staff who would love to see the Eagles go after a guy like Jenkins who can make a positive impact on your team, step in. He's a veteran. He can just play. Uh, uh, he can play outside corner and cover in man. That's valuable. Um, but like you said, you know, Jenkins has had a very bad week in terms of his public conception. You factor in Jeffrey Lurie too, you know, all the interest that he has and how active he is, that kind of, you know, that's that's a big check in the con for me. Right. Yeah. So the more the the moral of the story is, I don't think the Eagles will take a swing at him. Also, you know, I think that our conception of the Eagles' corners and the building's conceptions of the Eagles' corners are probably pretty different anyway in terms of their quality of play. Uh, so maybe we're overestimating how interested they would be in a player of Jack, Jack uh, Janoris Jenkins on field ability alone. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay. So we're both a no on Jack Rabbit, both in uh, claiming him off waivers and then in the offseason. As well, I mean, this team has got to get younger, and like I said, he's he's on the wrong side at thirty, even despite the fact that I think he's played pretty pretty well this year. Anyway, let's get to the injury report for the Eagles showdown with Washington. Very important game for the Eagles. So this is the Thursday report, and I've got some updates going into Friday as well. So let's take a look at the Thursday report. We're recording this early on Thursday before the official report is out for Friday. So did not participate. Nelson Aguilar with his knee. He has said that he is in a stalemate. Doug Peterson said, I have no idea what that means. So <laughs> there's that. 
Derek Barnett still hasn't participated with his ankle. Of course, Lane Johnson with his high ankle sprain is uh, is out of, of practice. Limited participation. Jordan Howard finally back in there in some limited participation dealing with that shoulder injury. Jalen Mills with his elbow. Peterson has said he's been fine all the way. Hasn't said day-to-day or anything like that that would indicate that he's actually dead and his family needs to start looking for him. Full participation. Camugrujay Hill with his concussion, which yeah. he did not immediately disclose to the team's medical staff when it happened. He said that it was a shoulder injury so he could stay in the game. And then he suffered some symptoms later on and then revealed to the medical staff what it was. Doug Peterson said that it was a bad decision on his part. And then they're going to look into it. But that's a it's a bad look for Camus. Like, we aren't na- naive enough to, to think that these types of things don't happen with players about trying to hide concussions. We get that. Still, not great for Camus. Uh, ben, let's take a look real quick at the Friday practice here. Absent from the Eagles practice, again, Johnson, Aguilar, Barnett. So the same ones. Yeah, everything's the same. So Howard Shoulder, Mills, Camus, they all were either limited or full participation on Friday. So no change from Thursday to Friday. Ben, initial thoughts on the Eagles injury report. Do we know what happened to Barnett? Can somebody find... Do we know the play? I don't know the play, no. I'd have to... Was it a practice thing? I have no idea. Because I don't know. I mean, he played the full game, didn't he? Played the full game. So... So yeah, I, like, I assumed when he was out last week that he, like, got dinged and he was going to be back. Seems like he now is a multi-week thing for him, which is, I don't know why I assumed it wouldn't be. That was kind of dumb on my part, for being honest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, right. So now he's uh, out. And that's like Vinny Curry took Nate Solder's lunch a couple times. Josh Sweat took Nate Solder's lunch a couple times. That was good. Mm. Um, Donald Penn isn't great, but he's a lot better than Nate Solder. Uh, and Morgan Moses is pretty bad. Um, yeah. But it's, it's you know, like it, it's, you're not going to keep getting cakewalk offensive tackles. And actually the Eagles pass rushes in I think kind of a similar situation as they were against the Giants in terms of there's beatable players on the line and then there's a quarterback who's just a flat statue uh and so they, the pass rush should be able to do good work in this game just as they did good work in the previous game that being said I, it, it's concerning to me that Barnett is missing significant time let's okay two weeks it's concerning to me that Barnett randomly popped up on the the injury list wasn't able to get right over the course of a week now he's gonna miss his second game guy who missed obviously a huge amount of games in his second year as well you got to get this guy consistently on the field if you want to see him continue to develop which like there were flashes of barnett in the beginning of the year that we really liked that just haven't uh had continued for the rest of the season so there's that and then curious to see what it'll look like knowing that lane is out the two games lane has missed this year he's missed in the middle of them right like he had the concussion earlier this year and then he had this obviously he left in the middle of the game then the, the in response to his concussion, the Eagles tried the Andre Dillard thing. That could not have worked more poorly. And they appropriately, you know, at halftime, made a switch. And I thought they were more successful with the Vitae prior combination than they were with Andre Dillard and, and Vitae at right guard uh, in, in that game. I think that was the Seattle game, if memory serves. It might have been New England. Either way. It was Seattle, yeah. So now it's, it's Vitae next to Brooks. I think with a week of game planning, you can be fine with that. Vitae is going to lose one-on-ones, but you can survive. Mm. And you can also help him out, as the Eagles very nicely did in 2017. So I think that it, it, it won't be as, as, as big of an issue, not necessarily. Uh, but still losing lane is, is always going to be a big deal. Uh, it's Bill Barnwell, who I think, I think it's Bill Barnwell, um, really loves to bring up like Carson Wentz's splits with lane in and lane out yeah. are a big deal. And if you want to know why, like, you know, go back and listen to 
you know, when we talk about Carson Wentz pocket uh, pocket management, you know, dealing with pressure and everything like that, when you're getting quick pressure off of the side you're looking at, you know, your right tackle is not your blind side. You should be able to handle that. Carson Wentz struggles to it at times. So there's also a lot of his rookie season in those stats. So, I mean, right. It's the 10 game suspension. Yeah. yeah. That's true. I didn't think about that. So that's kind of a double count in there a little bit. And I'll, I mean, good news for Vitae, and we'll kind of transition into the into the Washington injury report, if you like here. But Ryan Kerrigan with a calf has already been ruled out for the game. They, they ruled him out on Monday. Well, let me tell you, that is pennies from heaven with Vitae starting at right tackle because he was about to open up a travel agency on him. Well, right? Kerrigan has this year been. He's been mad. Yeah, which, we love Kerrigan on this show. Right, but, would like to make it very clear. <laughs> future Hall of Famer Ryan Kerrigan. That's right. Just a blip on the radar. But seriously, five and a half sacks for Ryan Kerrigan. He missed his first start in like 105 bajillion mm-hmm. consecutive starts. He, had, he had played since 2011 and started every single game. So 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 16. So eight times 16. So 128 games he had played consecutively plus the 12 this year. Yeah, he was at... 140 consecutive starts and then he he misses the uh, game this year which is very sad um he has had over double digit over double digit sacks in four of the last five seasons he's never had less than seven and a half sacks he's at five and a half this year we have to make sure we clear that seven and a half benchmark either way ryan kerrigan was the man but he's not been playing that well the dude who really impressed me on film is is uh uh Ioannidis, Matt Ioannidis, oh, 95 dude. 98 98 yep yeah, yeah no that's a good ball player yeah. and he's doing what they wanted john allen to do when they drafted him in terms of being a bit of a, a move piece between the A gaps, B gaps, sometimes outside the C gap, uh, potentially. But this is defense. We're not talking about them right now. Yeah. Either way. He's been better than uh, than Allen, in my yeah. opinion. But they, right, like with Kerrigan out and with Montez Sweat being so far a bit of a uh, as a rookie. Yeah, their edge pressure is not the most concerning thing to me on that defense. So continuing on with the Washington injury report, cornerback Quinton Dunbar did not participate on Thursday he remains day-to-day with a hamstring. Callahan said that he's hoping he can participate in some red zone work on Friday. That's one of their starting outside corners. That's something we'll try to update you on in the next show if that information becomes available before or during our recording. Adrian Peterson out with a toe. This is an issue that he's been playing through since mid to late November. So I expect this is just rest for the veteran, and I do expect him to play on Sunday, of course, we'll update you if we, if we hear it differently. Wide receiver Trey Quinn dealing with a concussion. Uh, they got some interesting uh, uh, slot receiver. The slot receiver for for Washington is interesting, but we're going to talk about it. Donald Penn, uh, he's listed as a knee back and then also non-injury related absence since Thursday. And then let's see here for the limited participation. Oh, Josh Norman has an illness. The illness is pretty much being benched. He's been a healthy scratch for a while now. Yeah. Limited. Oh, Joshua. If only we could, there we... was someone who could have told you he was not good. Supremely overrated. Limited participation. Linebacker Ryan Anderson with a shoulder. Cornerback Fabian Moreau, who's the start on the other side for them, with a hamstring. Wide receiver Paul Richardson could see his return to action with a hamstring. That would be big for them. Offensive guard Brandon Scherf with an elbow slash shoulder. And then full participants. Dwayne Haskins dealing with a bit of an ankle problem. Linebacker Cole Hol- Holcomb with a thumb, and then Morgan Moses with a toe. I expect all of those guys from full participation to play. Uh, Ben, any other takeaways from that before we start to get into the Washington offense versus Eagles defense preview? Yeah, Darius Geis being out. Yeah, So he left the Eagles game with injury in week one, and then he gets injured the game before the Eagles game now in week 15. Um, This is a good ball player. 
Did you see him? Cannot stay healthy. Steal the soul from Shaq Thompson. Shaq Thompson still got a massive contract after that, but like Geis was looking good, man. And 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 so you have him with with uh uh being on reserve injured. Bryce Love is on reserve injured. Uh, Peterson did not practice. Now that's probably just a maintenance thing to keep him right fine tuned. But like this team does not hand the football off to Chris Thompson that often. Mm. And Peterson is, is, I mean, he's Adrian Peterson. He's like, you know, Adrian Peterson, but he's not particularly imposing as, as a runner, especially in those games in which he does not have guys to rotate with him. He's middling. This team tries as hard as they can on offense and needs to on offense, run the football mm. with rookie quarterback Haskins in, and they can't without guys. Right. So it's, not a small deal that he's out because I'll put it I'll put it to you this way. With Geis, they run much more out of spread the year looks. They never really get spread, but they'll run out of lighter boxes. With Peterson, six offensive linemen, two tight ends, fullback. They get big to run with Peterson. And then when they go to pass, they put three wide receivers on the field. And so when there's no Geis, it's with with Haskins and, and I think he has some playbook limitations, I would guess. Either he does, or they're just limiting him because they think that's how they have to do it for a rookie. But either way, it's not a it's not the hardest run pass guess in the world uh, when Peterson and, and when there's no guys and Dwayne Haskins is the quarterback. Um, and I mean they'll, they'll run play action out of those sets, but the problem is like if you're putting two tight ends on the field, well, because Vernon Davis and Jordan Reed are both injured, those two tight ends are, are, are Jeremy Sprinkle and whatever the frick the other kid's name is, Hentgles, his this Norwegian dude. And if you're going to get burned on play action, getting burned by Jeremy Sprinkle, <laughs> you don't really get burned by Jeremy Sprinkle. You know what I mean? So, like, this is a, it's a banged-up team on offense, and, it, and with a rookie quarterback in there, it really makes them limited. So when we come back here on the Kist and Solak show, we're going to dig more into this matchup between the Washington offense, the Eagles defense. That's coming up next here on the Kist and Solak show. And we are back here on the Kist and Solak show, episode 158. SB Nation, Bleeding Green Nation, Michael Kist here with Benjamin Solak. Ben, let's start to dig into the Washington offense, how they match up with the Eagles defense and what we think that looks like. Looking at the overall stats for the Washington offense, it is not great. They are 31st in overall DVOA. Dead last in passing, 25th in running. They're dead last in scoring, 14.5 points per game. It's gotten a bit better over the last three where they've averaged 21 points per game. They are dead last in third down conversions. That hasn't really gotten any better. They're 28th in the red zone, which is probably more descriptive than predictive. But you look at their overall drive efficiency since Haskins has been the starter. They're 30th in touchdown drive frequency in that span. So this might sound a lot like the Miami offense right now. Well, I think there's clear differences between the two that make this an entirely different study, and we'll we'll talk about that with Haskins more, but let's take a look at the passing offense, and look, when I looked at this passing offense, I think it's still all of the, the Gruden hits, all the classics, sure. whether it's swirl, sail, dagger, all go, dusty or shock, whatever you like to call it. I think the one thing they've adjusted is they've really been leaning more on drive and shallow crosses which drive is just a a dig paired with a shallow cross and they've incorporated more shallow crosses for Haskins it's something you saw a lot from him while he was at Ohio State something he's more comfortable with so they tried to give him that Uh, this is still an offense that has only scored over 20 points once since week two of the season Haskins has started the last five games there are growing pains uh, exacerbating that has been Haskins inability to hit the deep ball which is a good sign for the Eagles He also holds on to the ball a little bit longer than a guy like Case Keenum would, and as such has taken a lot 
of sacks. And this is from our friend Mark Bullock of The Athletic, friend of the show, uh, about how often Haskins hits the deck. Quote, Haskins has been sacked 22 times since becoming the starter, an average of more than four sacks per game. At the current rate, Haskins would be sacked 70 times for a 16-game season, and that doesn't even account for the hits on various other pressures where he manages to get rid of the ball. That would rank as the third most sacks allowed in a single-season quarterback all time behind David Carr's rookie year in 2002 when he was sacked 76 times, and shout-out Randall Cunningham in 1986 where he was sacked 72 times. My man got beat up. So this is a guy, Haskins, who is struggling to make anticipation throws, struggling with it with pocket management. His internal clock is off. His footwork is a bit of a mess. Hasn't hit the deep ball with any kind of consistency. He's been very inaccurate overall. And really, it's just an unknown quantity at this point of his career because of the inexperience coming out of college and the small sample size we have in the pros, which is mostly bad, but it does have some bright spots. So since he's taken over as a starter, going back to week eight, he's really gone to who he's been comfortable with. That's his Ohio State teammate, Terry McLaurin. Next in line has been undrafted rookie Kelvin Harmon, who's had to step up for Paul Richardson. He's done a decent job filling in for Richardson. Richardson could return to action Sunday. We'll see. But you feel for Haskins because he's got like one guy he's clicking with. The Eagles can pour some attention onto him. And it's kind of changed McLaurin's role as to where he's getting targeted, I believe, anyway. Just from my eye test, he's getting targeted at more shallow depths than maybe we saw early on in the season. I mean, like, Steven Sims is their slot guy. It's not great in terms of the weapons, and we haven't even touched on the tight end. So I'm getting ahead of my, myself here, Ben. But watching Haskins, not very good, but he battles. He's tough. They need to give him more no huddle to help him out because he looked his best there. It could be something they do against the Eagles. They had success with it late against Green Bay. And really, you can't take anything for granted right now with this Eagles secondary. Ben, your thoughts? Haskins can't deal with pressure. Yeah. And he couldn't deal with pressure at Ohio State. And if you can't deal with pressure, I'm not interested. And I wasn't interested in Haskins coming out. Um <laughs> At a round three grade on him. This is maybe a quarterback who you develop into a starter after a couple of years, but you need an offense that protects him. And that's the thing is like, you don't want to draft a quarterback with the condition that you have to protect him with how you design the offense. To that point, Haskins under pressure in, in my quarterback charting and contextualized quarterbacking last year, he stood and delivered when pressure arrived 76% of the time, which is an astronomically high number. Yeah. That is to say, he took a sack 8% of the time. He escaped 4% of the time. He scrambled and ran, tucked and ran 4% of the time. Standing the lever 76% of the time. This is tough. He, when, when, and when the pressure was his fault, when it was not a block was lost, but rather it was him failing to manage the pocket, when it was him standing in the pocket for too long, 86% of the time, stand and deliver. Just say when, when pressure comes, the dude chucks it up. Ask the Green Bay Packers, multiple interceptions. Mm -hmm. This this is not a – and, you know, we say, oh, young quarterbacks, bad under pressure. Like Daniel Jones, really bad under pressure. It Yeah, like sure, but having the requisite athletic ability and anticipation to escape mitigates pressure. It cuts it in half. And then it's about like pocket management and whatnot. It seems like Carson Wentz, rookie year, was not good under pressure. But also when pressure arrived, had the athletic ability to get away from it. Haskins doesn't. I have a quick stat on that, if you'll allow me. He no, is number one. I'm talking now. <laughs> number one under pressure. The most sacked quarterback under pressure in the league per PFF. He takes a sack when he's under pressure 37.7% of the time. Adjusted completion percentage of 50%. His quarterback rating under pressure is 32.7. Ben, I mean, that's exactly what you're saying right now. So here we are. This is So, this is, so we understand that, that this is what we have. Well, then, okay. 
how, when we have a quarterback who, who fails to escape pressure and is risk-prone under pressure, how do we prevent pressure from coming? Number one, we can leave blockers in. Washington's not very interested in this. Washington, in my opinion, should become more interested in this. <laughs> but I guess when you when you don't feel like you have receivers who can regularly win in one-on-one situations, then you don't want to only put four in the concept or three in the concept. You don't put five in the concept and give yourself some checkdowns. Also, Haskins is seeing a ton of zone. Yeah. And the reason he's seeing a ton of zone is because you don't have to blitz him. You send four. And you can beat Morgan Moses one-on-one. You can beat Donald Penn one-on-one. You can beat Chase Roulier one-on-one. And so now you got seven back against four, against five in the concept. And and it's, you're asking a rookie quarterback to parse zone. And as you said, in order to, to, to throw successfully against zone on a short internal clock, you must throw with anticipation. Yeah. And you said Haskins is not a good anticipation thrower, and I agree. Haskins goes this very important distinction that we 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 gloss over these two very different ideas in scouting. Haskins goes through progressions well. He is quick to see a a a half field develop and say what I need is not going to come to fruition here. I need yeah. to get backside. I need to get to my checkdown. He's good at, at at watching an underneath zone defender get into his drop and saying, "Okay, the shallow cross is going to open. The sit route's going to open behind this guy. The deep dig's going to open behind this guy. He sees it. He don't rip it. And so going through progressions, yes. Throwing with anticipation, no. And so you can tell he thinks, all right, this is going to open, and then he will sit and wait to see it. Right. And, 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 and a bit of that is elongated footwork. A bit of that is elongated release, right? Like Haskins is a pretty by-the-book mechanics thrower and when we talk about like rogers a really good example of this right like rogers throws with unbelievable anticipation and 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 one of the ways you can see and experience this is because of rogers ability really is a wicked quick release upper body but he throws from really weird platforms lower body and the reason is because he does not want to be stuck to his footwork when it's time to get the ball out. If he wants the ball out, it's coming out. And so Rodgers has the ability to throw without setting a base and just getting the ball out still accurately and still with velocity. A good example of that is when we talked about Carson Wentz on the overtime touchdown to Zach Ertz. His feet weren't set. He was rushed, and he's still able to get it out from a different platform without his feet set. Aaron Rodgers is able to do that. Haskins, I don't think he's able to do that. And I also don't think mentally he's prepared to do that. Like, even when he is set and he's seeing these things, He's still late to him. Right. And and, and like I said, I think some of that is release speed. And yeah. I think some of that is zip. Like he's got a good arm. Not great. It was it was good in college. And so at the NFL, it's like an arm. You know what I mean? It's, it's not. And, and when, it, when it comes to throws with touch, when it comes to levels throws over the first level of the defense in front of the second level of the defense, he doesn't modulate well. And one throwing deep digs, posts, and, 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 and yeah, deep crossers at Ohio State. And there's a reason. <laughs> Because it's not level stalls are hard, yeah, and, and he does not have that tool in his toolbox yet. Very well could come in next year and have it if he does, you know, the work and he gets it right. It's a tough thing to learn, but if he does, he does. All the power to him. Um, but but this is what we have in terms of a, of a limited player. So what does Washington want to do? Five in the concept against seven man zone. Haslam's going to three step, five step drop out of zone. He's going to read front side to back side. He's going to deliver on time. One of the things that you've seen drastically is they're trying to open up shallow crossers for him like there's no tomorrow. And it makes sense. This was his best route at Ohio State. Hit the top of your drop on a three-step. See you've got a guy winning with leverage, winning with speed, three yards, horizontal. Put it right in front of him. Let him go run under it. Let him turn up field. Steven Sims, Terry McLaurin. These are the players they want to get involved on this route. 
Cool. Second thing that you'll see is they're constantly trying to open up intermediate between the numbers for him. And this is where you work three man concepts, right? And so, you know, we have a deep guy, we have a shallow guy, and then in the intermediate, we have a guy on a 12 yard hitch, 15 yard hitch, 15 yard dig. And we want that window to be open. We want Haskins to fire that ball in there. Because again, we have three step, five step hitch and throw this, right? And, and, and as long as they get like middle of the field open when they expect the middle field open, they can just hit it. Um, Kelvin Harmon. So this is this uh, I I made Mike wait because I wanted to look something up because I was chasing a theory and I was right on it. First eight weeks of the season, Kelvin Harmon playing with Case Keenum, average uh, average depth of target eight point one. He had a target share of 0.04, so four percent of the total targets uh, among the team. Uh, a market share of the air yards as well four percent. So the amount of air yards that they were throwing for he had about four percent of them. Haskins since week nine the starter. 14.4 A dots, an increase of over six yards. Target share at 17%, almost four times as much. Market share in the air of 26%. It's almost eight times, or it's almost seven times as much. Yeah. Harmon has become intermediate man. Yep. Wins with leverage, wins with size, wins in contested catch situations. He's their Jeffrey, basically. Sure. But even like he's healthy, fast, young Jeffrey, you know? <laughs> and so like it's, he's got a little, little zip to him. Now he's, he's not a yak guy. He has. 59 total yak yards since Haskins became the starter. He had 48 <laughs> previously. So there's not a guy who does much after the catch. But, yeah. you know, he, he's, he's, he's able to get into these breaking routes, these intermediate breaking routes down the field nicely. McLaurin, he, McLaurin hasn't really lost the, the, the deep threat. Like McLaurin, they still look for him on deep yeah. bombs. But now he's become much more of that shallow target. Yep. That's the guy they want to get the ball in his hands, get it out of Haskins' hands, let him do work after the catch because he's their best athlete at the position. Part of this is the fact that Paul Richardson's been down for a fair bit of this time frame. And now Paul Richardson may come back, um, but he's taken zero snaps in three of the last four games. Mm. If he comes back in this game, They'll try to integrate him, but I don't think he's taking over Harmon's role. Harmon's has seen a significant increase in snap, significant incre- uh, significantly changed role as well, and it's benefited him nicely. He's become much more productive in the last few weeks. They're going to keep him there. And I think that may be true of next year, too, to be honest with you. Well, sure, right? Like, I um, I recently wrote about the Redskins, and I gave them a wide receiver early, and people were like, well, what about Kelvin Harmon? And I was like, maybe. You know what I mean? Like, I, right. I would add somebody, but... I mean, Harmon's doing well in a good role. Harmon's a player you and I liked coming out. Thought he should have been drafted away before the sixth round. Yeah. This is this makes a lot of sense for what he he's successful at. If they had a quarterback that they wanted throwing jump balls outside the numbers on nine balls, that's where we think Harmon would be the most successful. That being yeah. said, they don't do that. So, so there you go. All right. So this is what we've got in terms of our route distribution. There's a lot of leak release uh, up the middle uh, into the flats from running backs. There's late release from tight ends as well. They, they, they are very oriented on giving Haskins checkdowns. He's a checkdown quarterback. He will take what the defense gives him. And, and, you know, I said, oh, rookie, bad under pressure. All rookies are bad under pressure. A lot of rookies are not good at taking checkdowns. Haskins is good at taking checkdowns. He deserves commendation for that. He is a risk-averse player in general. That's a good thing. I will say he likes to go through his progressions. And I think when you played at Ohio State, you could get to like a backside comeback or a backside uh, dig or a backside corner. And that would be open a lot more than it is in the NFL. Yeah. Uh, and so he, when he comes backside, he typically looks for check down immediately, but sometimes he tries to get to like a third progression in the concept and it's never good. And they got to kind of wean him off that a little bit. Like I said, he was a progression player at Ohio state and, and, and it's, it's quicker the NFL and he doesn't have the same arm in the NFL uh, with NFL speed, NFL caliber athletes. So he's got to learn a little bit what, 
progressions he can actually get after and take but that's like also like an offensive play caller feeling out his quarterback that's that's a symbiotic learning like you can't put that all on Haskins you got to learn where he likes his backside routes and which ones he can hit on time and that that that's all you know just gelling on offense you got to put it is, on film and you know dissect yeah. it and learn from it right which is why like you know the 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 hiring of whoever their mother head coach to be matters so much because mm. you got to get him with Haskins and get Haskins with him but anyway team does not generate explosive plays through the air if and when they do they, they're going to try deep shots to McLaurin, same way they did against Philadelphia in week one. Uh, Eagles are going to give them. Man, we know this now. This is the second week in a row where the Eagles can probably just sit in zone and send four, which means yeah. the Eagles will play some man coverage in, some, in, in third and 12, and they will you know lose to McLaurin on those routes. Um, but generally speaking, you're going to be able to sit in your zones. I would expect the Eagles to play, again, a ton of rotate to too high because of how much the, the Redskins want to get to the intermediate level of the field in between the numbers, which is like, if they run invert two, that's exactly where that hole is. Yeah. So again, this to me projects as one of those games uh, where they're going to try to run it a lot and they might actually get some good success out of it, which they have previously to take away that intermediate. And then you're, you're checked down and rally, checked down and rally, checked down and rally, checked down and rally. And with no guys, with no Vernon Davis, you know, ask Andrew Sandejo, check down and rally becomes easier to handle uh, when there aren't those athletes on there. So tackle Chris Thompson in space. Should be okay. There's there's two stats, and I was going to ask you about these because I think they, they they make a nice correlation. But we always look at you know the PFF offensive line versus defensive line matchup chart, and they give advantages, right? And we also look at the wide receiver cornerback matchups and see what takeaways we have from there from PFF. So these two were very interesting to me. Washington is the second worst when it comes to pass blocking advantage against the Eagles, right? So that means Eagles should be able to get there with four. In the wide receiver quarterback matchup, out of all the matchups the entire week, they have Terry McLaurin at second against Ronald Darby, meaning he has the second most advantageous matchup in the league in week 15. So you take those two factors in there. A, the Eagles should be able to get there with four. B, McLaurin's going to eat Darby up if he gets the chance. Mills too. You got to protect these guys. You don't have to blitz. This is the thing I was yelling about with Eli. Go too high. They can't run. You can get pressure with four. Right. Boom. Like even against the like the Giants could run. This right. team can't even run. Uh get pressure with four. Yep. This is this is supposed to be the formula. Um, but you you should be able, like I said, I expect them to rotate a lot to too high. If they're traditionally in too high, they'll have Nigel Bradham be that pole runner. And then it's it's and like you might be like, oh no, Bradham ran the pole against Golden Tate last week with success. Kelvin Harmon is not nearly as fast as Golden Tate. So if they're trying to get intermediate with Harmon, there are worse things in the world than having Bradham run that pole. And the worst things are A, man coverage, or B, country cover three, which nobody handles that route. Yeah. So, you know, like, like it could be Bradham. It also could be completely uncovered. Um. So, yeah, I think, I think limited quarterback who, like, at his best, he can get a scoring drive out of zone if his offensive line's playing well. Hmm. But even if his offensive line's playing well, he's going to have mistakes. He's going to have inaccuracies. We've seen them on his tape since he started starting. And... If you're able to get pressure with four, which you should be, even with Barnett out, then you can end drives. You know what I mean? And, you know, you and I were laughing at the stat earlier this week from NFL matchup. Eagles are second in the league in third and outs, uh, three and outs generated, which like is is you like 40.5%. Bears are just below them at 40.4 and Patriots are above them. They're the only three teams above 40% in terms of the amount of drives that they force three and outs, which mm. like... <laughs> What? <laughs> There's no in between with this defense. They are, they're either three and out, or they're like three, and then they go for it on fourth, and then they break their own backs. Like it's it's such a weird 
defense. You're either thriving. I was, I was looking. I was looking for a good stat to contextualize this, and I yeah. think the best one is that the Eagles are give up the second most. They create the second most three and outs in the league, and they also are bottom ten in terms of pass touchdowns allowed per drive. Right. <laughs> That's what I mean. It's so boom bust. So on a per drive basis, they cause more three and outs than pretty much everybody else. Uh, but they also give up more passing touchdowns than like 22 other teams. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That kind of describes what the Eagles defense is right now. With that in mind, let's go to the DraftKings Sportsbook official line of the game. Right now, I see it at five and a half. The Eagles are favorites. The over under is at 39. Ben, help me out here because I did not do this before the show. So can you do math? I didn't listen. Forty. The total is what? Thirty nine. Total is thirty nine. Oh, hey, it was forty when I fell asleep last night. Uh, it's like twenty one to seventeen, twenty two to eighteen. That's sort of a look. Okay, well, it's five and a half, so you're gonna have to. Okay, so it's like twenty two to seventeen. Twenty two to seventeen. Ben over under seventeen points for Washington. What do you think? Under the Eagles' defense. If you, if you, okay. Uh, assuming Ryan Fitzpatrick is a god and uh, just like is just immortal against the Philadelphia Eagles and Did, is didn't I warn you didn't I warn you about him I warned you about him you okay. tried to slander him on the timeline you said look at the quarterback I'm most pissed at myself for <laughs> this year yes underestimating uh Fitzpatrick is the one that, that I'm most disappointed in myself about yeah um same but anyway so yeah if you go and you look at, at what the Eagles have been able to do on defense this year Re- or I should say recently, barring the Ryan Fitzpatrick game, they gave up 13 to the Bills, 14 to the Bears, 17 to the Patriots, uh, uh, 17 to the Seahawks, 37 to the Dolphins, 17 to the Giants. None of them great offenses, but the Redskins are not a great offense. So you would expect them to score below 17 points. Um, that's why I was surprised. Like the title, the total at 39 is is it's one of the lowest totals we're going to see in the NFL this year. Uh, mm-hmm. in terms of game total and I, I bet it under at like 41 which was only a couple days ago uh this total is going to continue to submarine real question is how much can the eagles offense do and it's not really a question of the redskins defense so much as it is a question about the eagles offense and kind of you know throwing the ball to robert davis but you know more on that tomorrow <laughs> yeah definitely the lowest over under of the week is 36 and a half it's the bills and the steelers so I mean, God be with them. There's <laughs> a lot of reasons for that. I'm going to go under. I'm smashing the under for uh, for Washington in this one, too. I mean, for all the, the reasons that we explained. It, it, I think they get one touch. I'm going to call my shot on on one touchdown in the red zone last week. And I put this up on the timeline if you, if you want to see it. You can see it on my YouTube channel. They ran uh, that, that last play to Terry McLaurin, that touchdown, that one-hander by McLaurin. That was a beautiful, beautiful catch. They ran something called uh, Skinner Return. All right, Mark Bullock. That's who I got it from. Yeah, no, dude, boss the man. I also remembered it because the Saints ran Skinner return in a different way. They were tighter to the formation, and they got intersecting releases against the Bucks last year, and it really screwed with them. So I think Washington may see that, run a variation of it, screw with the Eagles' tendency to have bust and miscommunications when it comes to tighter bunches and tighter doubles and whatnot, because the Eagles have really struggled with that lately, and that's how they get their touchdown there. So I'm saying touchdown, McLaurin, one. I'm saying maybe a field goal. 10 points is where I'm putting Washington at. We'll see if that changes in the next two hours before we record again. Uh, ben, anything else for the gentle listeners before we get out of here? No, I'm just watching the McLaurin catch again on your timeline. It's Gorgeous, a right? It's a ball player, man. Buddy, he is good. If, the if Redskins offense, first, the first best player is Terry McLaurin. The mm. second best player is Brandon Scherf. Yep. We all we Thank got. Thank you as always. <laughs> 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 
Eric Flowers. Literally, like, Eric Flowers is probably playing better ball than everybody else in our defense. He's been solid since they moved him Remember to guard. Remember when we made, we were like, haha, Eric Flowers is our left guard. Fast forward 14 weeks. Play great. They're yeah. going to extend him. Did you see the clip I put on the timeline of him? Where he was, no. it was the first drive of the Green Bay game. Oh, it was the one where he slips. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but general, besides the slipping, yeah. playing great. He was Dude, good. Brandon Scherf passed on a $13 million per year extension in the offseason and then proceeded to get outplayed by Eric Flowers this year. <laughs> like, and, and Life isn't what you thought it would be. Nobody would have told him, take it. No way. Yeah. Absolutely pass on that. Brandon Brooks gets 15 mil per year. And now you're going to go and you're going to hit at least Zach Martin at 14 million. Right. right? And he, Scherf hasn't even played bad. He's just, like, not had a super dominant year. And Eric Flyer's playing great. <laughs> I hate to see the, it. N- the NFL is weird, man. Yeah, Scherf's <laughs> contract situation is going to be an odd one. But uh, conversations for the offseason. For now, it is in season. And we are talking about the Eagles facing the Redskins upcoming on Sunday, 1 p.m. Eastern at FedEx Field? FedEx Field. Yes, it is. Uh, so, yeah, that game's coming up on Sunday. Uh, to get you prepped for it, this was the Eagles defense facing Dwayne Haskins and the anemic Redskins offense coming to you. Uh, the next preview, the second half, will be the Eagles offense, which some would also describe as anemic, facing the Redskins defense. This, as I said, is the big matchup of the game for me. To get you prepped for that, make sure you listen to the show. And of course, if you don't want to miss any of our shows, subscribe, rate, review, and listen to all of our podcasts. He's been Benjamin Solak on Twitter. I'm Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-I-K. I've been Michael Kist on Twitter. I'm Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. Listen in. Next podcast. It's going to be good. We all we got, we all we need, fly eagles fly.